says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me for another week of NRL and Parramatta News, my good mates, 60s and Clint. Boys, so much happening in the NRL. Eels at a bit of an eye of the storm when it comes to big controversies, I suppose, after our one-point win against the Titans. Uh, but we got those two points. They can't take them off us. How are you boys feeling as we uh, get ready for a trip to the tropics? Mate. We did get those two points, but you know what? I'm still a bit fired up. I'm not sure how I'm going to be in this podcast. I'm doing all the links so that you and Clint can do hopefully the majority of the talking, but I can't guarantee that I'm not going to jump in and get a little bit troppo about some of the garbage that's been carried on about in the media, the narrative after this Titans game. It's just had me fired up no end and I'm likely to let loose in this podcast. Clint, you better take over now before I start to lose my cool again. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not too dissimilar. I'm a little bit wound up. I'm like a 120-kilo um, wrecking ball junior Barlow ready to uh, charge up the back fence with some of the, some of the um, I guess, talking points that have surrounded our victory. But um, we'll get you know, a little bit into it later, but... Uh, in the same token, I'm so incredibly proud that we found a way to win a game when we were down 11 to 13 at one point. Um, what a tremendous team performance to get that result. Yeah, we should probably focus more on the positive than some of the garbage <laughs> negative. But being a Parramatta supporter, sometimes you can't help but be drawn in by the clickbait, be it whatever level of media it is. So count me down as being suckered in this week. Uh, John, hit the stinger. Uh, before we do, though, boys, quick shout-out to the sponsors of the show, Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Owen and Parramatta. Uh, actually very excited to be working with uh, Big Swing Golf, North Mead this week, 60s, uh, for a bit of a, a corporate function for us to get to put some faces and names there. But, yeah, I'll hit the stinger for you now, mate. You know what? It is a really, really huge week of news in the Eels' paradise and in the NRL. But let me just start off with uh, echoing that plug. We're going to be down at Big Swing Golf at North Mead this week and looking forward to that and a catch-up with a few people. Also, there's a big event down at Paraleagues on Saturday with a continuous call team from 2GB are going to be in Jack's Bar and Grill. That's our normal stomping ground, mate. I hope they've got all the relevant paperwork completed to be in there and taken over where we normally uh, rule the airwaves. But, yeah, <laughs> they're going to be in there. Uh, they're in there from 1 till 10. That's a massive stint, a massive stint of being on air or at least in the, uh, in the premises in Jack's Bar and Grill for nine hours straight. Our good mate Spiro 
will of course be down there. So I'm going to get down there. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to catch up with Spiro. So if you're looking to catch the eels, the call of the eels live down there from 2GB, that will be happening later on on Saturday. But I think they've got plenty of prizes and giveaways and and all that sort of stuff. And it's always great down there in Jack's Bar and Grill anyway for a feed and a drink and just talking footy. So. Uh, maybe have that on your agenda this weekend, listeners. And um, we move on now. Uh, oh, and, and I should also mention this week in our preview podcast, Spiro is going to come back and join us for a special preview that will include a bit of a look at the NRLW. It will, But it, it's good to have Spiro back. His work commitments at 2GB have just made it too difficult for him to be part of the podcast this year but he said he was always going to be available if we need him for the occasional podcast we've called on him this week it works in nicely because he's going to be there at para uh, leagues at jack's bar and grill so have a listen to our preview podcast this week where spiro makes his return appearance but on with the eels news mate and let's talk about the suspension of reg for a start Pretty hard to argue against a suspension. However, I think there's been some over-the-top comments since then. John, what's your thoughts on the suspension and the reaction? I was willing to cop a a one- or two-week suspension for Reg, um, given that it was a pretty... Look, universally across the board, you've seen the Eels from Brad Arthur to Bryce Cartwright to, uh, you know, Guffer and whatnot, saying that, you know, he's got no malice in him. That was just clearly an act of sloppiness in the heat of the moment, you know, from a guy backing up from a big state of origin game. And BA went so far as to suggest in his presser that maybe it was also on him because Reg was slated to get uh, substituted out in the next set or two and maybe Brad had gotten it wrong by just the case of like one minute. And that's what led to the fatigue creeping into that play. But I'll tell you what, the, the over-the-top reaction from the press, talking about he should be rubbed out for five or six weeks, the over-the-top reaction from the NRL when, again, I'm going to come back to this, but these two teams had the exact same situation play out last year and it resulted in a player missing nearly half the season. And there was no penalty, there was no sin bin, there was no charge. There wasn't even... And in fact, what we had from the media was a defence of the player who'd committed that that foul. Jaden Campbell was defended left, right, and centre. Oh, you know, he, he, no, that he, that wasn't his intent. No, no, he didn't do the wrong thing. Nothing to see here. That was the narrative all the way through that. What a load of crap that was. He should have been suspended, just as Reg deserved the suspension. That, that, Absolutely. That, Absolutely. And that, that's what really grinds my gears here, is that the, the narrative has been, oh, you know, Jaden Campbell, he didn't do anything wrong, made contact with the arm first, despite caving in the chest of Sean Russell with his knees that he led with. And well, ne- can, never, never, mind that, never mind that that initial contact was also a high tackle that was overlooked by the bunker as well at the point of at the time. Well, tell, tell me this, John, right? And I think <laughs> yeah, we know what the answer is going to be. If a tackle is made in a different position, let's say the first contact is, is with the lower chest, and the arm slips up and smashes into the face. Is there any defence that says, well, you know what? The first contact was down low, so that's just, you know, that's bad luck. No, it's it's basically, they'll look at that and they go, you know what? Your tackle ended up making contact with the head. And the person gets suspended. 
I mean, the the fact is, anyway, with that Campbell tackle, he slid in on his knees towards the player and he caved the bloke's chest in, caved it in. He had to be transported by ambulance off to hospital, punctured lung and nothing, no reaction. The main reaction was coming from Eels supporters. That's it. Nothing from the media. Clint, this surely is grinding your gears with it as well. Oh, big time. And using the example that you just touched on, they absolutely glossed over it um, after that round one game last year. And you know, as, as you said, Sean Russell missed half the season. You know, um, it, it kind of beggars belief, but then at the same, in the same breath, it doesn't. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about, and you know, um, you know, quite kindly, a video of, um, I'm sure many football fans saw of at least the last couple of days of um, Ben Eichen circulating around social media and talking about how uh, um, you know, rugby league tab, uh, tabloid journalism has, has infected rugby league. You know, and there's some of this over-the-top uh, reactions and um, hyperbole, I'll, I'll probably say at this point, is, is absolutely done for, um, to, to, to bait responses. And, you know, the, the Eels fan base are, are, are one of the more engaged fan bases and, you know, we're uh, certainly one of the more well-supported fan bases. And you know, if, you, if you need to generate clicks, Paramount is always a good place to start. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not um, revealing anything brand new in saying that, but, you know, in... Um, all that said and considered, you know, at the same time, we shouldn't just sit down and take it. And I think we do need to bring attention to the fact that there is just inequity in a lot of these situations. And, you know, that's what's the bane of every um, every football fan um, existence is is that there is just complete inconsistency and complete uh, of, um, complete inconsistency in application of um, not just what we believe, we collectively believe to be the rules, but it, it, it seems to be a moving target. And, you know, no wonder people get, for lack of a better word, the shits, because they can't actually piece together or, or understand how um, any official or, um, or you know, um, whether it be the bunker, whether it be the match review committee, get to their, um, get to their findings, get to their outcome because they just do not make sense. You know, it, it would be really nice if the dots could be connected so that everyone can get on the same page. But, you know, the conspiracy theorists in me believes that there's a reason that they don't do that. And it's largely because they don't want their uh, decisions to be called into question. Yeah. I, I, I had to write on that topic of what's happening in, in the way of how discipline is being treated in, uh, with regard to the Eels this year in the spotlight post that uh, went up yesterday. But, John, just coming back to the NRL media and how how it's reacting, the thing is, for us as supporters, when RCG was suspended for four weeks, our, our take was basically, okay, it's that's maybe a little bit at the high end, but you know what? He did it. It's four weeks. You got, you know, he's made his knees have made contact with the with the back of the Titans player. It was sloppy. It was awkward. All of that sort of thing. But yeah, okay, four weeks. And and yet the narrative is, look, should have been sent off. Should have been should have been far longer than four weeks. But blah 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 blah. Right. And as I said, yeah, they've got the they've got their target market in getting reaction out of Eels supporters. But when is enough enough from this? I think we're pretty fair income in how we 
respond to foul play and that we can acknowledge when the Eels are doing the wrong thing. And in fact, I've pointed out where the Eels have more weeks missing out of action from their players due to suspension than any other club. So there is definitely something that's to be looked at in the way of just tidying things up. You know, fellas, you know, whether it be on field or off field, just tidy things up a bit because 21 weeks is just, it, it's absurd. It is so far above every other club. I think the Panthers sit down there with no suspensions. Well, they technically, they do have one, which was May's carryover suspension to the start of this year. That was the only one that they're currently facing for the year. Apart from that, there's no suspensions. And as I said, the Eels sitting there with 21 weeks. But talking about this, I, I, I want you to jump in here now, John. Sivo fighting the charge. Can you believe that he's fighting the charge? Well, if you had the pick between the two incidents as to what the Eels might be contesting, given that we just spoke about the Jaden Campbell incident getting no charge, let alone a penalty, um, you would have thought that it would have been RCG would be going to the judiciary to contest a downgrade and, and not get off, but lower the, the actual penalty or outcome. But yeah, I, I was very surprised when I saw the Eels are contesting the Mike Acevo grading. And you've got to think, given our reticence in the past to go to the judiciary... <laughs> that they, they must feel that they have some case. And I could only think that maybe they're going to argue mechanically, if you go back and watch that replay, Micah didn't have like a – his arm wasn't really raised. It came in sort of below shoulder height and just the mechanics of the tackle took it into the jaw. And maybe that'll warrant putting it down to a grade one, which I think with the early guilty plea allows them to play against the North Queensland Cowboys this week. So they've clearly got something that they think mechanically they can argue for the downgrading because – yeah, on paper, like I said, between the two incidents, I would have thought that it would have been, if any been was being contested, it would have been Regis. To, to be honest, I, I've i looked at that and I thought, you know what, he'll just take, he'll just take the three weeks, right? That's, that's just a good outcome for him in this instance. And you're right, when you look at our past record, there's been so many instances where I've either thought... Look, the evidence is there to challenge this, or why don't we challenge this? Like, they, you know, this—that's a tough call. In this instance, I've, I'm scratching my head. I'm just looking at it, and I'm going, "No, you've, you know, like it's just gone horribly wrong." It's a suspension. Um, Clint, did you see anything in that that he's likely to be able to get off on the, you know, with a downgrade? I, I was equally as shocked when I saw that we were going to challenge it, and. And um, like John said, you know, of, of the two, I would have thought Reg would be the one that we do if, if we were to go down that path. But personally, you know, if, if the decision was um, in my hands, I would have just accepted the suspensions of both and and moved on. And you know, we've got to we've got to try and plan for the next few weeks without these guys. But um, yeah, you know, like if, if, I think even at the ground, you know, once uh, once the shot happened, he was called out by the referee. We went, okay, you know, there was there was the oh, here we go. Um, moan from the crowd knowing that he was going to be sin bin. I think we all just accepted at that point, given that he's had a few priors this season, that he, he, he'd he be gone. So I, I will be very shocked if he gets off. You know, at the time of this recording, um, Mike is still yet to have his hearing and he may well do so as, we're, as we record this evening. So, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll be very surprised if he lines up on, um, on the field at um, Queensland Country Bank Stadium on Saturday night. Mike has got a great feel for that jam on the blind side from the, the winger getting that spread, but, man, he's got to get that target point, that initial target point down. Uh, it's, yeah, it, it needs to be like a golfer's swing. He just needs to be a degree or two lower. Yeah, that, and that's all it is. a different outcome. Yep. 
Uh, I'm just wondering, there is one angle of what of that tackle where it looks like maybe he didn't actually make contact with the head that the that the neck was jarring with the with the explosive contact to the shoulder uh, the other angle then looks like no nah, he's made contact with the head but I'm just wondering whether they feel that the true angle is the one that shows no contact with the head that that's the only possible thing that i can think that it is because i mean you you mentioned the the angle of the um tackle then the arm movement john but I, I look at that and i go yeah but if you've made contact with the head it doesn't matter but remember what? they're not arguing to get off they're arguing for a downgrade from grade two to grade one that that's the important distinction here is that they feel that mechanically they can have justifiable grounds to argue the downgrade. So I don't know if they do, but um, that's what they seem to be contesting. Um, yeah, and ever since, well, going back to, was it 2013, 2014, Junior Barlow and Matt Bowen, we've been so gun-shy of going to the judiciary because Junior got done for, uh, I think it was a four- to five-week charge initially, and it got bumped up to nine games or something like that. Uh, after, was that even 2013? Was it 2013? might have been 2013. Junior and, and Bowen, yeah. And oh, that was round one, 2015. 2015? 2015. There you go. Yes. So, oh, geez. And he ended up getting rubbed out for eight or nine weeks after failing to contest the charge. And, yeah, we, we've been gun-shy of going to the judiciary ever since. Yeah, well, mate, we normally reserve this stinger for our instant reaction podcasts. But I really want you to lay it on me now. You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. Fellas, how is it that from basically full-time onwards, in a game in which the Eels were down to 11 players at one stage, that the media narrative has been all about how the Titans were robbed in this game? It's it's been like the huge focus on the Eels being offside in the Titans' field goal attempts, completely ignoring the fact that they had big double markers on the Eels when the Eels were going for the one pointer themselves. It's ignored a whole. I was going to say something that was perhaps no, I'm going to say it, a shitload, <laughs> a shitload of instances through the game that were called incorrectly. John, I think you've got a few instances yourself that you've seen. How, how does this happen? How is it? Is it, again, like we were talking about with the suspension and the, and the focus on the suspension, that they know they're going to get a rise out of the Eels supporters? I, I get that the Titans were robbed the previous week when, or, or I shouldn't say robbed, but they copped the call when no referee ever makes the call on an offside with the penalty, with the uh, field goal attempt. I get that. I understand that. But there was so much more to talk about out of this game, especially how a team can battle back from being down to 11 players at one stage to engineer a win. <sighs> talk to me. Well, I, I understand. Again, we spoke about this, uh, I think, in the wake of the game that Titan fans will no doubt feel aggrieved at some of the calls that didn't go their way. But like you said, a uh, friend of mine, Hamish, 
uh, one of two Hamishes, but uh, he's got can compose a dossier of going through all the calls, right or wrong, for both teams and sort of summing it up. And going through and uh, a number of Titans tries coming off forward passes or forward passes in the lead up. Uh, there was a forward pass from a kickoff that was painfully obvious that was missed by the mm. officials, Aaron Shop, uh, to one of his middles. Uh, Mitchell Moses was taken out in the air at one point for an easy two point field, uh, two point shot at goal in the second half. Uh, yeah, the, the, there was a litany of bad calls on both sides, and I still contend that Philip Sami made a double movement. I mean, momentum got the tip of his body over the line, but he clearly promotes the ball. And the rule state you cannot promote the ball even with momentum. So uh, there, there were a whole string of bad calls there. I mean, Tino Farsu Mala Awi gets put on report for a shoulder charge, he gets three weeks from the judiciary. Mike has ever got three weeks, he got a Simbin. Where, where's the Simbin for Tino Farsu or Malawi? So just... What about the um, Jaden Campbell hold down on the, on the uh, Eels line break? Yes, um, big Sean Lane it was, wasn't it? Uh, made, mm. a, made a line break. Uh, pretty obvious professional foul at that point. Uh, that is 99% in the Simbin, uh, but for whatever reason, not in this game. So yeah, like I said, the was tight- there a six again call? Was that simply? Did he simply go six, six again? Yeah. yeah. So he, he so acknowledged there was an infringement. Up. Yes, acknowledges the infringement, right? The deliberate slowing up. Bang! Here goes six again. But the fact is, it's on the line break. So there's that's the obvious call. Well, you look up the perfect definition of professional foul exactly. So uh, here's stop the attacking team from gaining advantage from a line break or try scoring situation, potential try scoring situation, which Give is six again on the first tackle. Yeah. So that's the, that's the, that's our advantage. Yep. So look, and I'm sure from a Titans perspective, if they look back at this game, they're going to point out a number of calls that went against them. And that's the reality of the NRL right now is the officiating levels are not up to scratch. And we've spoken about this at length, boys. This has been a recurring topic. You don't like to dig into officials, but geez, the standards are slipping in this game. Um, but in this case, what what is so frustrating is that there has been a, a clearly biased narrative coming out of this game about woe is the Gold Coast, you know, how unfair it is for them. And yes, it sucks that they got done last week, or sorry, now two weeks ago, against Redcliffe or the Dolphins with that penalty call in Golden Point. But the reality is, yes, the Eels were offside in the, the, the Tanner Boyd field goal attempt, but so too were the Titans when Mitchell Moses slotted it. So Mitch was... Uh, I mean, you can argue about the mechanics of what is advantage there, but I would argue that uh, even on the successful field goal attempt, the referee should have given the Eels the opportunity to declare whether they wanted to take a two-point shot of goal from directly in front, mind you, uh, instead of the field goal. So, yeah, both both teams cops and bad calls, but it was both ways, not just one way, as the media would have you believe. Yeah, and it, it does make it interesting because I'm not quite sure how that would fit in with the rules that I, I don't even know if it would have been possible for the to, for the referee to call that way. But there would have to be something intrinsically wrong with the rules that says you can face the same offence and if you are still successful with your field goal, you get one point. If you're unsuccessful with your field goal, you're going to get two points. Mm. Now, that, that sounds like there's something intrinsically wrong in the in the rules as they are and that's probably something well worth having a discussion about or or at least putting to the nrl in the way of rule changes and you don't want to see a lot of rule changes but that sounds like a, a horrible anomaly um that could result in as i said failure 
getting you more points than success against an infringement. So success against an infringement is not rewarded. Failure against the infringement greatly rewarded. So it just that that would just seem to be completely wrong. Uh, Clint, your thoughts, mate? Yeah, well, just to add to to that point, yeah, you know, you're you're incentivizing uh, players to miss and to play for the penalty, you know, and there's a little bit of a gamble in that in, in trying to read whether the referee has the intention of doing so. You know, obviously, if you're out there on the field, you're listening out for a call. Um, but yeah, you know, to to add to um, to some of John's comments as as well, uh, the the Titans all night were pushing the boundaries of um, of the ten meters. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of ten meter offside calls not called. It was, and you know, the the the, the ref was keeping an honest ten, but just not enforcing it regularly. And uh, oh, it, it, it's it's a bugbear of mine, and I think it was a bugbear of the crowds on 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 the night as well, because that's sort of what begun the underlying tension that existed within the game and it sort of started to spill over until other little moments um throughout but you know again like i said earlier you you, you just want to see consistency in the enforcement of, of of whatever the interpretation is that's where fans frustration comes from you know and like even I think there's a little bit of tall poppy syndrome going on and woe is me from the Titan that's carried over from the week previous. They, they felt as though that they were dudded, um, you know, and, and now they've gone, oh, well, we it ha- was called against us last week but not called for us this week, um, you know. But the, the thing that irritates me in those types of discussions and then, you know, the, the subsequent whataboutism that um, follows those moments is the Titans had 79 minutes to win the game previous. <laughs> You know, and they had a point in time which they were playing against eleven men. If you weren't good enough to get the job done, then you you know, it, it's unfortunate that 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 moment went against them. But um, you know, it's not as though they didn't have all these other moments seventy nine minutes prior to that miss or, or seventy seven minutes prior to that miss whenever the the attempt took place to win the game. They had their opportunities and they didn't. They weren't able to put themselves in that position. You know? Yeah. So. That's what frustrates me ultimately. And, and you know what, Clint, to that end, the media narrative, which has been, which has shown over and over and over again, that the Eels went early on the field goal attempt. And the thing is, there was nothing extraordinary about what happened with the Eels compared to a lot of other clubs that when there's a field goal on. In fact, mm-hmm. it was basically, as I said, that the Eels went a little bit early on that. And then the um, Tanner Boyd, with his attempt, he he took almost an eternity with the the take that he had. But the I, I guess the tough part for the Titans is that they got pulled up last week for something that every other club does, and you you will see it in virtually every field goal attempt. And but that, importantly, that, also that they weren't pulled up on it last week. Against the Eels. Yeah. Like, so they, yes, they'll put up against, against the Dolphins, but they got away for it against Parramatta. Just Mitchell Moses was good enough to get the kick away. Correct. Correct. So basically, what I'm saying is there is, there was nothing extraordinary in what happened with Parramatta's defensive line in that. Mm. Nothing at all. They could have shown any film clip of a field goal attempt in the dying minutes of a game or in extra time from any game this year, and you're going to see the exact same thing happening. The exact same thing happening. But, of course, the the thing was this week, 
it was against the team who had the unfortunate scenario of um, uh, Grant Atkins calling. It was Atkins, wasn't it, last week that called mm. them on the, on that offside. And unfortunately for them as well, he was calling out their particular player for being in front of the line, like before the ball was even yeah, played. I mean, and telling him offside, to and Atkins yelling credit, out at him yeah, a second time. To his credit, he was he was hyper vigilant on that particular instance. It wasn't like it was a late call into a penalty. He was. On mm. that guy from the start, yeah, yeah. So that was a that was a completely different scenario. But I get that there was nothing different happening for them as there is in literally every other game. And um, I, I just want to add as well, gents, you know, to, to do a little bit of a one one eighty on on what I was saying before about what aboutism. You know, you'll both clearly remember the um, qualifying final in week one of the semis of twenty seventeen when half the Melbourne side was offside at, at a 16-all scoreline in the game in the balance. Oh, sorry, it might have been 18-16 at that point. I'm, I'm sorry. It and was. we had the chance yeah. equal to go into, um, into Golden Point in that game. You know, um, the, I bring up that example because it happens to all teams and all clubs at some point. Yep, yep. And you know what? And again, I'll come back to it. In that particular finals match, and we're talking about a finals match, there was not one scrap of media attention on how offside the Melbourne team were in that particular play, in that key play, the, basically the last position that the Eels had in the mm. game. And you saw literally their entire team well off the line when the ball hadn't even cleared the ruck. And, you know, it, it, it was what it was. And now... There's, there's all this furor. And again, I think it comes back to uh, a little bit to the scenario that there was one team copping it one week and then missing out the next. But also, there seems to be a certain amount of enjoyment if they can point it out in a in an Eels game. I know that's... Mm. That, that's Maybe there's a, there's a little bit of uh, victim mentality or, or fears about bias or what have you. But if we're, if we're talking about just facts and stats the just onto uh, officiating it was I, this actually had got past me for a large part of the season where I was happy about the Eels discipline because we're ranking up near the top of the NRL for penalties conceded and I know how important it is to the Eels I've listened to BA talk to players about it at training I heard him with the being so direct with the young players that were part of the Eels preseason, so that young group of of Jersey flag and SG ball players, and when they were doing a, a little bit of uh, uh, like actual football drills, and he went into them about their discipline with holding the line and those sorts of things, and said that the Eels take pride in being a highly disciplined team, and if they can't be disciplined, basically there isn't a place for them. You know that that it was something that they had to make sure that they handled well, and we see it on a weekly basis where the Eels give away fast play the balls to their opposition to minimise the likelihood of penalties or six against, and they have they record it's it's fact they record a slower time speed than their opposition on literally a weekly basis. There's only been one game this year 
when the opposition had a marginally slow play the ball than the Eels. The Eels are often between half a second and a full second slower than the opposition. Now, that is significant. When averaged out across an entire game, that is significant. And my contention is that when this happens with the Eels, when they are so clean around the ruck, that when they vary slightly from it, like when they are as slow as their opposition, they'll get pinned because it looks like it's a big change from what they're doing. It looks like they're holding down. And at the same time, when it's clean, they seem to also regard that the game itself is clean and opposition, the opposition slowing the eels up and wrestling. And we've seen many instances of that this year, of the opposition slowing down the ruck against the eels. It's just not called. You don't get six against. You don't get penalties. It just doesn't happen. And the eels are now, and this is the point that I wanted to lead to, it's in the post that I've written, we receive the fewest penalties of any team in the NRL. We rank 17th. We average receiving 4.4 penalties a game. 4.4 as an average. Like that's, that's astounding. I mean, you li- it's literally saying that the op- opposing teams just don't commit indiscretions. I know that there's like, there, there's, indiscretions that are covered by six agains and and um and 10 meters but 4.4 penalties per game fellas I that's that's astounding I mean to be to be the fourth best team in the comp for penalties conceded but the worst for penalties received it yeah it it it, it beggars disbelief as far as I'm concerned so um Maybe I fully explored this, and maybe I, our, my rant has been good enough to cover for all of us <laughs> without the listeners uh, look, having to hear look, us going on and on and no, on. It, it, it is worth adding, though. You know, the average generally sits around about what six, seven penalties per game per side. If, you're, if we're looking at somewhere between like a, a, a twelve to eighteen penalties per game, depending on the flow of the game. Um, in, in any given NRL match. So to be at 4.4 is significantly below that, you know, and um, yeah, it's, it's amazing how these teams all, all seem to be magically well-disciplined against us to negate the opportunity for us to receive penalties. You know, it's just, um, I, 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 I think it's a great bit of um, evidence-based detective work that you've done, 60s. I know in discussions that three of us have had at different points. It certainly supports our sniff test, eye test, um, feel for the game that that's the case, and you know now that we're um, we've had um, over twenty rounds of the competition, the data supports that. So you know I, I think it's something worth pursuing and 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 pushing the button on because um, you know um, penalties as we get towards the back end of this year and um, are, are incredibly crucial in just matches and, and potentially determining final spots as um, uh, as close as this season has been. So. You know, and, and given that we're in the, the, the middle of the dogfight for that at the, at the moment, um, you know, it's, it's something that should be spoken about. But, you know, in, instead, we're, on the, um, we're in the news for not being penalised when we should, you know, um, when the long, long-term data says, actually, <laughs> we don't get anything <laughs> by yeah. comparison. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's literally 
the the comeback that should be at the at, um, with regard to Parramatta not being penalised for something. Hey, <laughs> you know, have a have a have a look at the penalties that Parramatta receive on a weekly basis. It's pretty damn awful. Ah, oh, fellas, let's let's move on. I hate to do it, but speaking of things that are upsetting. News is just filtering through via Adrian Preschenko of the Sydney Morning Herald that it's been confirmed that Ethan Sanders, the rising half in the Eels ranks, has inked a deal with the Canberra Raiders to commence a two-year deal there starting in 2025. We were just speaking quickly about it then and suggesting that who knows, it may well be that they might try to negotiate an early release for him because he's contra still contracted to the Eels next year. Uh, there'd been uh, permission sought for him to sort out his future before next year, which uh, the, the Eels allowed for a testing of the market and for contract offers to come through. Um, it's It's turned out that the Raiders is a more attractive location for... Ethan to ply his trade moving forward. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of ill supporters unhappy about that. Uh, I know we've got young halves or relatively young halves and well-established halves in the NRL, but after releasing Jake Arthur, the next player coming through was going to be Ethan Sanders. He starred in the New South Wales under-19s. I, I, I don't know what more to say at this point, fellas. It's it is highly disappointing, John. Yeah, I mean, we knew it was going to be a tough sell to sit behind Mitchell Moses and Dylan Brown at the Eels. Um, you know, when you're a, a rising young playmaker, you always want to back yourself to be in the NRL, you know, in your early 20s. Um, and at Parramatta, there was a the stark reality for him that if everything was good for Parramatta, then he wouldn't be required. Um, I don't blame him for going elsewhere. Um, it is interesting that it's only a two-year deal. Um, that would suggest, like, not not just in terms of for, for the Eels and whatnot, but just suggest that it also means he's keeping his options open for opportunities elsewhere too, um, and also can sort of you know renegotiate with Canberra after the first year if he goes well. So, look, Ethan is a, an outstanding young Haas prospect. Uh, he has an NRL caliber kicking game right now, which is a real rarity in young halves. That's often the thing they've got to work on, aside from their defense, the most coming into senior football. But I think he can. Strictly speaking, you could put him into the Parramatta system next week against the Cowboys, and he could, in terms of kicking, handle those responsibilities with a plum. Um, so yeah, big game for the Canberra Raiders. Um, they'll be I don't know about rushing him in the first grade boys, but uh, with Jack White and departing, there's obviously an opportunity in the halves to work alongside Jamal Fogarty or maybe replace Jamal Fogarty in the long term. Um, yeah, so best of luck to Ethan, except when he's playing Parramatta. Yeah, Clint. Look, it's, it's absolutely a shame from our perspective, but um, as John so eloquently put, you can't really blame blame him for seeking that opportunity. Um, he, he would have seen that his um, his pathway to first grade is um, blocked by some pretty good players um, at, here at Parramatta. Um, you know, it's just a shame that we have, uh, he, he's, he's probably the, the best um, um, half that we've internally developed from the beginning of his development through to his senior football in, in quite some time, you know, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm putting just a little asterisk next to Mitch Moses' name there because of his the time he spent at the Tigers. But, um, you know, um, he, we can only wish him the best. You know, he, 
he's obviously been very successful in the lower grades uh, for us. Um, you know, as part of the, the SG ball winning team um, earlier this year, uh, he um, certainly would have um, made his name more well known last week through um, a, a very strong performance for New South Wales in the under 19s origins. And, you know, it, it, it's it's just a it's a reality of um, that you, you you can't keep them all and you know um, you gents did a, um, a a podcast interview with uh, Nathan Brown earlier this year and you know he he said just as much you know so um, again we can only wish him wish him the best apart from when he plays Parramatta but um, you know it, it it does sting a little bit but it's it's understandable how this how something like this can happen yeah I. I... I think probably the only way you would have been able to keep Ethan would have been if they had have locked him into a development contract a bit earlier because uh, he's not on a development contract at the Eels. He was contracted for, for next year, but not on that on that type of contract. Maybe, maybe that might be a lesson going forward. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, very, very disappointing. I, I guess because... We know that when it came to the depth chart, he was going to be um, next up there. Now, whether this causes a rethink in the halves progression because um, you've now got Josh Lynn, who has been playing uh, a mixture of 5'8 and halfback. He plays 5'8 when uh, Ethan Sanders is there in the halves, but when Ethan's been out... Josh has slipped into the halves. You've also had Blaze Talungi, who I noted, and we're going to be talking about this momentarily in the Eels team list news, has been playing in the centres because of the halves combination of Ethan Sanders and Josh Lynn. And this week with uh, Josh Lynn is out of the team and Ethan, and um, you've got Blaze making his return match being named at 5'8", rather than in the centres for Jersey Flegg. So... I don't know whether it's going to cause a bit of a rethink, but, you know, I had to think that next year in New South Wales Cup that they were going to be looking at a halves pairing of Sanders and Lynn in the halves. Yeah. That like, and, and it just would have seemed like a very natural progression. There, there may well have also been the likelihood that uh, Matty Arthur Woods might have followed up so that you've got that progression of the spine from the SG ball progressing into Jersey flag this year, progressing into New South Wales Cup, if not at the start of next year, then certainly at some stage next year, so that you've got, you know, that those combinations that know each other well. So anyway, it's um, I guess there's a bit of a rethink now for the Eels as far as their future planning is concerned, uh, because without question, they need to be thinking what is the backup plan because we know that this year with Jake Arthur moving on in the halves, it's uh, they're basically looking at uh, Dejan Arcee and that's it to cover both half and five eight. So anyway, fellas, we now let, let's, let's first of all, give a mention before we get to Eels team list news that supporters should be getting out to Combank stadium this Sunday because at midday we have the Eels NRLW playing their first game of the season against newcomers, the West Tigers. And it's a bit like 
it's almost a bit like little brother, isn't it? Because we've got all these players that <laughs> are linked with the Eels in the past and they're running around now for the West Tigers. I know that they've had their own separate links with the West Tigers. So don't get me wrong, but there's a number of players there for West Tigers who've formerly been Eels. It's the season opener. It's a Combank Stadium. It's not linked to other Eels games. So I think that's a, a, a good sign to get out there, get as many people into the stands supporting the Eels as possible. We had a, a nice roll-up at just the local park at, at Eric Tweedale Stadium for their trial match. There was you know, somewhere between 1,200 and 1,500 people that was there. Uh, I just know it was a full stand. There, was, there were people um, beyond the stands there as, as well. So it was a good crowd, good atmosphere, but this is Combank Stadium. We want a few more than that there for the Eels' first NRLW game of the season. John, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I mean, like you said, there is a, a big element of big sister, little sister in this game with, I think, six of the top 17 West Tigers having repped the Eels in the NRLW. Um, high, highest profile there by Tilvetti Walsh, the superstar fullback. And she'll be. Hang on, hang on. Did I just, did I say big little brother before? Yes. <laughs> so I, I suppose I suppose a, a faux pas in the NRLW space, but yes, that's yes, that's a, a rugby yes. league sort of truism that you get so used to, given that it's been uh, mostly a, a male space for so long. But now we're getting incredible female football, obviously. So, um, but yeah, I mean, Botil very well. She had the one season with the Eels back in our inception year. Was a electric at fullback for us, but unfortunately did her ACL late in the season. Um, but she'll be their real star player, and they've recruited pretty well. I think Kezi Apps is in the back row, and they've got. Uh, the young uh, player that you had a big rap on, 60s, Lasana Lutu, playing on the interchange. So they've got a good team. Eels do have a little bit of experience in their ranks in terms of uh, pe- people returning to the squad. Abby Church at fullback, obviously Kennedy Charrington, Ruben Charrington, uh, Ruby Jean Kennard Ellis. Uh, so we've got some good core players there. Uh, Elsie Albert, Rachel Pearson, there, alongside Kennedy, I think they're our real triumvirate. Uh, of cornerstone players in this uh, season and also moving forward. So they're, they're our leaders, whether they've got the C next to their name, like Pearson and Kennedy, or in Elsie's case, just being the forward leader there in the middle. And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited because i uh, got some real strike on the flanks. Zawi Fade, Cassie Toei, Hiku, Abby Church um, from fullback. Uh, they're, they're all either Parramatta juniors or returning players for us there. Um, and they've been really good for us in recent seasons. Got some power in the centres, Mahalia Murphy, and then in the Ford pack, aside from those core players you mentioned, there's a lot of unknown factors there. So, you know, young women uh, or, or journeyman women, I suppose, too, in some cases, coming to Parramatta for a chance to write their own story here and, and be, you know, big-time feature fa- uh, factors in our forwards. Yeah. Clint, what are you most looking forward to with this opening round? Um, just um, um, really, I guess, uh, making our uh, identity known to the NRLW. I think I've said it before in terms of now that uh, multi-year contracts are in existence, you know, this is the real evolution of the Parramatta NRLW site. Um, and as is the case for all the other NRLW teams. But, you know, I'm, I'm given our forward pack and, and, and the kicking game of, of Rachel Pearson, I expect us to play not too dissimilarly to uh, the men's side in, in, in terms of um, keeping the ball nice and tight and, 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 and down, down through the middle third. Um, you know, uh, and also kicking for meters, and um, you know, really controlling that field position. And likewise, um, given the type of player Dean Witters is or was um, in his day, um, I'm very much looking forward to seeing how we use the ball. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, look, I think for for mine that kicking game of Rachel Pearson is going to be a telling factor in this. And if we can, uh, and I almost see this as the NRL W Eels team can maybe play a game that's not too different to the men's side with having Mitch Moses as such a dominant factor with his kicking game. I think Rachel Pearson uh, can be that for the Eels in the NRLW team and a strong forward pack. They can get the um, you know get the job done in terms of making full advantage, taking full advantage of deeper kicks into the opposition half and being able to maybe keep the opponents trapped within their 40 metres and making it just harder for them to attack. And uh, winning the middle, playing and, and then getting to the edges after winning the middle. I mean, it's it's just classic football, but you really need to have someone who's got a, a very good kicking game to set the platform for that. And I think that's what the Eels have secured this year with Rachel. Um don't forget as well that as far as TCT is concerned, we are the place that you can come to to get your Eels NRLW content. We've got our latest addition to the TCT content creators, Kyle Ferreira. Uh, Kai Ferreira, sorry. Kai will be producing his first um, preview post this week, which should go out either Friday or Saturday morning this week on the NRL Eels NRLW clash with the Tigers. We have a special dedicated podcast with Mary Kay that will go out this week as we look at the the season ahead and what her expectations are. And we talk about the women's game in general with Mary. Mary's a great friend of TCT and it's always a pleasure to have her on the podcast. So keep an eye out for that. And after such a massive amount of Eels news. We are finally at the Team List Tuesday part of the podcast. John, talk us through the main talking points of the Eels' three grades of selections. Well, it's four grades now, 60s. Flag, Cup, oh, sorry, NRLW yes, yes. and NRL. So yeah. we got we got the quadrilla going on right now. So plenty of Parramatta football for those that are hungry for their, get their, to get their fix. Um, we'll start with the NRLW, continuing with them, 60s as the headline feature this week. You mentioned the standalone Sunday kickoff, 12 o'clock p.m. out at Combank Stadium. Uh, so we run through their back line. Abby Church, who has played centre and wing for the Eels, she gets her chance at fullback this year. I'm sure we were in the number one in round one. Uh, Zawi Faye, Cassie Toi Hiku, a couple of young speedsters. Zawi Faye with a wonderful in and away in her toolkit. Cassie's a real rugged runner for plenty of paces we saw in that trial against the Dragons. Uh, two new centres, Mahalia Murphy and Chantel Stowers. In the halves, we already mentioned Rachel Pearson. She's one of those free cornerstone players for the Eels. She'll be partnering Pahuka Berryman-Duff, uh, so a new face there at 5'8 for the Eels for fans of track. In the front row, Elsie uh, Albert, Ruben Cherrington, dummy half, and Ruby Jean Kennard-Ellis, uh, Parramatta's first ever development pathways pa- player to make it through to the NRLW, so good to see her coming back around. Uh, in the back row, a couple of new faces, Amelia Murphy and Talisha Quinn, Kennedy Cherrington, the Energizer Bunny at lock forward. On the interchange, Capri Pacal. She'll be rotating as a battery with uh, Ruben Cherrington dummy half. You've got Jade Vanua, Shannon Muru, and Madeline Jones. Extended roster, Monique Donovan, Kyra Simon, Kimberly Hunt, Rosemary Beckett, and Nakia Davis-Welsh. And like we said of those Tigers, uh, you've got Botil Vetti-Welsh, Rakia Horn, uh, Emily Curtin, Christian Pio, and uh, Najvada George. 
And I do wonder, 60s, there's a Josie Lenars on the wing. Any relation maybe to Nick in our Josie Fleck team? Uh, interesting. We we might have to um, post the question to Nick, see if we can get a bit of feedback on that before the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's it's a strong lineup based on what we saw in the trial with their victory over the over the Dragons. A lot of those girls were in that starting team, so it's not necessarily a surprise that this is the team that was named. I think it's obviously the side that Dean Witters had in mind. Uh, we did see a few positional changes as it went through because the game was playing, played in thirds and we saw a few changes. We we won't dive too deep into things now because we are going to be doing that, uh, first of all, the dedicated NRLW podcast and we also have the preview podcast coming up. So, uh, Clint, anything you'd like to add at this stage, just based on the team list? Well, you know, I think it'll be an entertaining round one game, you know, and then, and that that narrative of uh, of, of the sub story of the former Eels players that exist um, in that um, Tigers site probably only adds a little bit of fuel of fire to the um, what feels like a little bit of a one sided um, <laughs> Western Sydney rivalry that exists. Uh, you know. I meet plenty of um, Tigers fans across the years who seem to, to to not be too fond of us, whereas I'm, I'm very much indifferent. Um, but, you know, um, it would it, be interesting to sort of see how that transpires um, in the NRLW space. But, um, yeah, like I said before, I'm just really looking forward to us establishing our identity and, um, you know, um, the NRLW side. Um, this is our NRLW side now, you know, um, it, at least for the next uh, couple of years. So, you know, um, it's it, it, it's it's always exciting when a season kicks off. Is that they're, they're, they're full of hope, and you know, despite some of the players that have moved on, um, they they will still have aspirations of of going one better than what they did last year, and certainly establishing a lot more consistency throughout the season regular. Now, John, as far as the men's competitions are concerned, we've got the NRL. The New South Wales Cup and Jersey Flag all back in action this week after the Jersey Flag had a bye last week. Really, the main changes we're talking about are the ones that have been uh, caused by the first of all the suspension of Reg and the potential suspension of Sevo. Are there any clues in the team selections in first grade uh, in the extended list? And then, likewise, what's the flow-on effect as the as these changes cascade down through the grades? Yes, sir. So, look, uh, Eels pretty much as per program outside of that. We'll, we'll call it the one and a half suspensions right now, given that Mike is fighting his or arguing for a downgrade as we record this podcast at the judiciary. So he has been named in the extended roster, though. The only two that would really come into consideration as a replacement, I would argue would be Hayes Dunster at 18th man and Wonga Blake at 20th. Um, I suppose the other wild card for consideration is that BA could slot a back rower into the centres and move Bowie Simonson to the wing. And we, we always talk about, you know, weakening strength to strength and weakness and the implications of that. Uh, but if he does have 17 first graders, he would prefer to play uh, on a consistency basis over perhaps putting in some underdone backs maybe. Uh, Hayes, we know, is uh, the poor guy is battling... Uh, both knee and, and other injuries right now. And Wanga hasn't been in the best of uh, contention since coming back from multiple shoulder or collarbone injuries. Um, so that that would also be up for consideration. But 
beyond that 60s eels uh, as per program off Iggy Ogden comes in to replace Reagan Campbell Gillard in the starting team uh, but the, otherwise the same roster that took on the Gold Coast Titans uh, with the Eels not gaining any additional injuries uh, since last week. Okay, and that then that flows down into New South Wales Cup. There's, there's actually some movement between New South Wales Cup and Jersey Flag as well. What, what's the, what's mm-hmm. the main movements that are there? Um, so, again, a, a strong injection of youth into our New South Wales Cup team as they uh, not necessarily battle for results now, but battle for development progress. Uh, so into the starting team comes the Jersey Flag captain, uh, Jock Brazel, um, who's enjoyed a very strong season individually. He's joined by fellow flag-eligible players, Jonte Junior Bethamiza, Jacob Davis, and Brock Parker. Those boys will play this game from the interchange bench. Uh, aside from that, uh, Dan Keir moves into the starting team at lock forward. Kai Robwell starts at prop forward after missing last week with the promotion now of Offie Golden to the NRL. Um, in the back line, uh, no changes provisionally. Dunster and Blake have been named to play cup, but obviously, should one of those players be caught up into NRL for that Saturday game against the Cowboys, they're going to need to name a replacement there. Um, I mean, I imagine it'd be one of the uh, sort of the Shield boys or Ron Massey boys that they've used in the past, whether it's uh, uh, Molotalo or Tupo or something like that. Uh, but yeah, so in, in this team... Some um, good young talent. Also, Alphamil Stephen, a fullback, should give him a shout-out. Another flag-eligible player in this team. Um, but, yeah, the big movement on the interchange um, and then, obviously, potentially in the back line, depending on how that plays out for the NRL game. And I think we had Matt Dury injured during the New South Wales good, Cup game last shout, week. Yeah. So that, that it would explain his absence there. And, yeah, we've also seen um, a player or two that's come back from New South Wales Cup to – Jersey flag and uh, yeah, a few changes there. Yeah, so uh, one admission from the New South Wales Cup team uh, that is in the flag team this week is Tony Matelli. He's had a long campaign up in senior football this week, uh, this year. Sorry, um, so interesting to see. Uh, obviously, we're not going to get that insight as fans, but interesting to see uh, what the motivation will be behind that. Whether it's to galvanise him, whether it's just to give him a chance to almost recharge against a, a you know less physical competition. Uh, but he'll be starting in the front row in the jersey flag this week. You already mentioned earlier in the podcast, 60s, Blaze Talangi makes his long way to return from injury after getting uh, hurt in the city versus country representative game, if I'm not mistaken, big fella. Um, he, yeah. he got uh, dinged up pretty bad early in that contest and has been out ever since, so good to see Blaze back. Uh, he's a very good prospect, can play in the halves, centre, I reckon back row as well. He's a uh, very versatile, very strong um, we get uh, Arpa Tweedle at fullback, Richard Penasini in the centres. Uh, you got obviously Ethan Sanders at halfback, Matty Arthur at dummy half. Charlie Geimer, who had an outstanding game in that New South Wales versus Queensland Origin 19s. Um, he's in the starting back row. Nick Lenars has a C next to his name. The electric Ethan Martin. He's been so good in the uh, wing and fullback opportunities he's got in recent weeks, sixes that they couldn't leave him out of his uh, strengthened team. He'll be on the interchange where he's joined by uh, a couple of young, a trio of young bulls in Lance Fall Lima, Saxon Pryke and Sam Tuovati. And, yeah, they're taking on the Roosters at 1.15pm out at Wentworth Park on Sunday. Yeah, again, a pity that we've basically got a clash between that and the NRLW. If you're at if you're at uh, Combank Stadium on Sunday... You're not in the middle of the city, NRLW, exactly. Yeah. You're not going to be at Wentworth Park. Not Wentworthville people. <laughs> no, 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 Wentworth, Wentworth Park. Park. Yeah. Yep. Get on the train to Central. 
yeah, yeah. The, the dogs are going around in, <laughs> in between in, in between kicks for goal. Um, uh, Clint, I, I, I just want your quick take. Who, who for you, if Sivo's unsuccessful, as we are tipping that he will be, who comes in? Just your well, take. Person, personally, I'd go with the experience of Wonga Blake. You know, I know he's been down in, in form and, um, you know, he's, he's had a raft of issues uh, with, with his collarbone this year. Um, but, you know, he, he's also played well north of 150 in our old games. I think it's like 168 odd or so that he's played. He was good enough to be in our grand final um, squad last year and had a number of good games across the, the course of last year. And maybe coming back in on, on, on the wing might be the thing um, to, to help galvanise him a little bit and, and, and playing um, with the NRL boys. Um, you know, I, I can understand the argument for, for Hayes as well. He regarded probably as a safer option, certainly when it comes to the high ball and given some of the challenges Wonga had there at the back end of last year. But at the same time, you know, um, we, we've seen him running around in, in cup and, you know, we, we, we note that he's coming back from one of the worst possible injuries a regularly player can have, um, you know, and, and throwing him into the lion's den against... Um, some of the top performing teams over the course of the next few weeks might not necessarily be the best thing for his confidence at this particular point. So I are on the side of um, experience with Wonga Blake. Yeah. Okay. And, and you know what, I'm probably agreeing with you and I, and I think I just simply add to that, that that would give Wonga the opportunity because if Sebo fails, he's out for four weeks now, not three. And, mm. that, and that's a big risk of him challenging. If Wonga goes well, he can basically set himself up for a run of four games in first grade. And that then puts the, if he's successful and if he plays well, that gives BA an extra selection option that at the moment on paper doesn't exist. And mm. in reality doesn't exist because you're, you're talking about no one really being able to show any form in the New South Wales Cup. That's just the, the way that the team's going. We've got to be blunt. The way that the team's going, it is near impossible to be showing any any great form in that grade and uh, he's got the opportunity to put his hand up and say look I'm not a spent force I'm a genuine option between now and the end of the year and if he goes well well you know maybe BA's got food for thought about who he selects on the wing going into finals football mm. okay fellas it's it's been uh, quite an in-depth look in the Eels news category, but we have got some NRL news. I'm going to run through a couple of things really quickly that probably doesn't need too much to be uh, spoken about. Uh, Nathan Cleary back. Bad news for the Bulldogs. <laughs> I think there's a hiding coming their way this week. Latrell Mitchell back. Uh, South Sydney would be uh, quite pleased about that. It makes that... I think they're, they're playing the Broncos this week. Is that correct? Yes. That will add a bit of spice to the, the game. There, um, we've got Matt Moylan and uh, dropped from the Sharks team and Talakai relegated to the bench. Any surprises, really, given the Sharks' defensive issues on Not their left side? I'm, I'm honestly surprised the Sharks have gotten away from playing Talakai in the centres that long. Um, he's yeah, obviously yeah, a de- to echo that, I, I was going to say, I'm surprised this, um, this uh, trigger wasn't pulled earlier to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's obviously a damaging player of the ball in hand, but that comes with some pretty obvious defensive deficiencies. And uh, yeah, the, the Sharks have been able to get away with it for a long time. And 
maybe he'll be of uh, better value to them on the interchange. We can use him a little bit more strategically uh, in the context of the flow of a given game. So, yeah, and, and given that uh, Trindle's been very good for the Sharks or the Jets in Reggie's for a good period now, I'm not surprised to see them pull the trigger on that move. Uh, but, yeah, the, the Sharks had to do something, didn't they, boys? They've been struggling, and a lot is now starting to be made of their, not just this season, but their long-term record against teams inside the top eight. Uh, they they beat up on the the weaker teams in this competition. Have been able to match it uh, with their contenders. Yep, um, we've also had uh, Big Tino's suspension after that shoulder charge against uh, Reg. Three weeks for that. We've already touched on that. We probably don't need to go any deeper into that at this stage. Um, we've also had Reese Walsh, the Broncos, being able to argue that. His game that he missed for Queensland in origin should count as part of his suspension. So he now returns this week for the Broncos. And again, that makes it a little bit more uh, of a tastier match for the that clash that they have with South and Latrell Mitchell being back. Um, now, Manly. A couple of interesting things happening there for Manly. Lodge being selected, the train and trial contract, and uh, a little bit of talk around today about the NRL re-examining or taking a closer look into the details of what his value will be on the salary cap for the Sea Eagles going forward this year. A must-do, fellas, Clint? Uh, yeah, absolutely, you know, um Although the concept of precedent seems to be lost on the NRL, <laughs> but um, yeah, we'll park that for a moment. Um, the um, I, I don't get how the notional value of any player um, that was earning um, quite good money as a contracted top thirty contracted player can then suddenly um, shift to being a training trial player at a, at a different club in the same season. And something doesn't quite seem right there. So. You know, yeah, what's he? Um, what's he? What's he on? Like somewhere between six and seven hundred thousand dollars, or something. That the, seems to be the consensus the figure. Yeah, among the media, that seems to be it, the consensus. He, even if he isn't, we're a bit more conservative and say that he's five hundred thousand dollars. I mean, that's well above the NRL average. Um, you know, so we're not talking about someone who's of average earning capacity. You know, that you could potentially argue, oh, you know, they haven't played first grade in a while. They've shifted clubs. Maybe there's a case there. No, this is this is someone for for a number of years now who's been earning well above the NRL average, um, yeah, and no, then to suddenly shift. I, yeah, he's he's basically getting if you if you round it way down, way down to five hundred thousand, he's getting around ten thousand dollars a week, yeah. and and Manly uh, basically saying, well, look, we can get him for the rest of the season for around a thousand dollars a week. And, you know, using that math, you've wiped off 90% of his value. Uh, hello? <laughs> that is very problematic, and that is not a loophole that any club should be allowed to exploit. So um, I would like to see some clarity on how this came about and subsequently how it's going to be managed through the rest of the year, as well as for um, his notional value in the future. Yeah. Um, a lot of questions around this one. I think it's something that the NRL probably needs to put in concrete, not just for this year, but for future seasons, because 
it is just a very, very murky area. And, John, the other thing with Manly is they put out their player agent listing. It's a, a, it's a bold, bold new approach to keeping your fans informed about roster construction. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Yeah, let's see if it works for them indeed. Um, yeah, obviously Manly were thinking to get on the front foot and be proactive in regards to some of the discourse surrounding uh, their coach, their staff, and some of their recruits uh, in relation to Isaac Moses controlling their, their list management. Um, and, and they put out this list of height that there was only five players currently contracted to Isaac Moses in their top 30. Um, yeah, but there's nothing like saying, you know, telling people that you have a problem when you desperately put out, you know, propaganda to say you haven't got a problem, right? Um, yeah. So, and look, it, obviously there's some nuance to this whole discussion about player managers, not, not just Isaac Moses, obviously, but player managers being able to control clubs in regards to, you know, you take this player, but or I'll give you this player if you take this player and um, your coach is with me, so you need to sign this guy and all that sort of stuff. But gosh, yeah, Manly handled yeah. this poorly. <laughs> this is the nicest thing I can say. They've handled <laughs> you know this, what? Handled I, this poorly. I, I, don't know, I don't know that there's any way that's around it, but I think one of the murkier areas with this is that you've got coaches and support staff like assistant coaches um, that are now managed by these player agents. And and I get you're not going to get someone coming into the player agent market and they just look after a player agent or a, a, um, a coach or two, right? There's, it's, it's just that's not going to happen. It's not especially market. So I, I guess if they're going to have an agent, they're going to be someone that's, already in the rugby league business who looks after players. So I don't think there's going to be any way of avoiding the fact that there are going to be clubs that have both coaching staff and players managed by the same agent. And it's, it's awful, but it, it doesn't look great, but it's, I guess if it's done the right way, there's no issues when you start to get a stench about the place and and you know there's there must be that perception out there and certainly people have I guess they've started suggesting it on social media whether it be Manly fans or other fans or journos or what have you to push Manly to put out that list it's it's really unprecedented um but I don't want to give Isaac Moses any more airtime here so let's Move on. Well, more um, more unfortunate breaking news, boys, but this one more to be expected, I suppose. Mike Acevo unsuccessful in his bid to get the charge downgraded. Uh, decision was unanimous. He will miss four games. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. I have to call that as I see it. I just didn't understand the logic of challenging mm. that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is. Very, yeah. Like I said, they must have thought that, that like on precedent because they you're not allowed to use uh, random footage anymore. They have their case log of uh, catalogued incidents for you to draw upon for material. They must have felt that there was something in the archives that supported a grade one charge. But yeah, given my uh, unfortunately, Mike has a little bit of a reputation with the judiciary. He's copped a few charges this year, uh, you know, and and sort of been able to plea down to fines. Uh, but yeah, given his history and the direct contact it looked like, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised to see that it was uh, upheld. 
I'm hoping that we get some sort of explanation, uh, whether we can chase it up or whether the Eels put it out or not. But, you know, and it doesn't quite fit into the same category as Maddo taking a three-game suspension rather than a fine. But I just don't understand the logic of, of going down on a no... Like, it just looked like a no-win situation. It was like literally saying, give me another week. Like mm. that's literally what it feels like. Give me another week, because I, I, I didn't see that it was defensible in in any way, shape, or form. But um, we've probably spoken enough about the about our suspensions already. Um, let's deflect it to another club to have a giggle about um, the Tigers and the appearance of Lee Hajibantalis on NRL 360, answering questions about what's happening with the club. John, what's your takes on that first? And then I'll come to you, Clint. Again, like with the Manly list management update, this feels like a bizarre attempt to be on the front foot and, and, you know, to convince their fans that all is right here when clearly for the West Tigers, there is, you know, a lot wrong behind the scenes. And it's not uncommon in rugby league to have, disagreements between your recruitment manager and your coach. You know, obviously you want them in lockstep as much as possible, but sometimes they're going to have differing opinions on player evaluations and whatnot. But that's not what we're hearing from the West Tigers. We're hearing like very different uh, ideas about how this club needs to move forward between uh, Fulton and Marshall. And we're hearing that Sheens has been cut out of meetings and, you know, he is the current head coach. Like what is, what is going on over there? I mean, uh, there was a lot, a whole lot of corporate speak there, Quinn, about, uh, you know, Tim Sheens is contract to be our coach next year um, and he can't guarantee any position uh, on a on a basis as a board member or as an executive of the club uh, because of the legal implications. So there's a whole lot of legalese in there. Um, oh, but, but Clint, the, the classic, that he, he actually used the rugby league cliche, maybe not in the exact words, but essentially that um, there was the full support of the board. I there, think there, was he there, talked there, about. There was yes that uh, Tim has the. Uh, uh, I don't know if you like you use unequivocal or something like that or uh, full support, but there was an adaptation of the classic full support of the board, the the classic deaf kiss. Yeah. yeah so uh, uh, I, I don't know what to make. If you were a West supporter, Clint, if you're a West Tigers supporter, if you were inflicted with that, how would you be uh, right now? I'm I'm shaking my head as you as as you both say this gentleman. Um, look, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna quote uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation here and and say just like the Jello of the Month Club, uh, the Tigers are the gift that keeps on giving. Um, you know, every um, every rugby league euphemism in existence seems to have been exhausted within the four walls of the West Tigers organization. And then spills out into the media and we hear about it at least every second week, um, if not more. <laughs> um, yeah, look, it's, um, the, 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 the fact that they just feel the constant need to come out and address things only fuels the fire. You know, the, what they really need to do is just shut up and not be seen. You know, there should be a pattern of um, behaviour well-established within not just um, rugby league, but any organization that the more publicly seen the chairman is, the more poorly run the organization happens to be. It's, a, it's, it's a correlation. So, you know, um, I'm, I'm not saying that necessarily is causation in this instance, 
but uh, you know, and we certainly don't have all the information of what goes on on there. But um, you know, from what's intimated and from what we do see, it seems to suggest that that's the case. What they really need to do is stop talking about what they're going to do. Stop, um, stop telling everyone. Um, you know, making the, the, the um, even potential business known and just get on with it and be quiet about it, you know. And, you know, I, I, I call it embracing the suck. And I think I've, we spoke about this um, a, a, a number of times over the course of this year, um, certainly in terms of um, when we've touched on um, the dragons as well, is that you can't fast track yourself to success. You know, you, 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 you even if... Um, if you were to buy a couple of quality players, you have to embrace the suck. It, it, when we were in this position ourselves as, as the Parramatta Club, it took a number of years, as well as the OLGR getting involved and then having an administrator appointed to correct the course of the ship, let alone to actually establish um, some years of continuous success. And it seems as though um, clubs like the Tigers and, and others who are in similar positions don't want to embrace the suck and accept their reality. They, they, they really just need to walk in and go, you know what? We are where we are, and we've just got to take a step forward each and every day from this point, as opposed to trying to um, trying to hack their way out of success or try and talk um, out of their position, I should say, and, and try and talk their way into success. No, you've, you've just got to do some really ugly but quiet work in the background and chip away at it, and eventually you'll get there. And but, yeah, you know, I was going to say it just continues. What What is really terrifying for the West Tigers, if I was a fan, is that. Their brains trust, and obviously they're not in lockstep, but their brains trust are having catastrophic disagreements about players like Jock Madden, uh, Jack Cogger, and Aiden Caesar. We're not talking NRL superstars here. They are burning down this place because of replacement level playmakers. So, yeah. like that, that is really concerning for mine. If I was a West Tigers fan. Um, and and it's clear for the West Tigers too that one thing they've got to try and fix uh, at, at a corporate level and also a football operations level is that they've got some pretty gleeful leakers. Uh, the moment anything happens there, it is in the papers within minutes, it feels like. You know, other clubs yeah. can put a lid on, you know, disagreements that happen because it's a workplace. People are going to disagree. Like I said, you do want people, you do want your, you know, everyone in lockstep as much as possible, but things happen. Tempers flare. People have different opinions. That, that that does happen at any workplace. But for the West Tigers, the moment someone you know burps, you know someone's on the phone to the media, <laughs> you know, oh my god, and you know got the latest scoop for you. So yeah, for them, it just gets played out in the press, and it's got to be fatiguing as a as a Tigers fan, like we know, boys. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think as the one of the lines that was said by Hedge Pentalis on three sixty, and he said something along the lines of, you know, they've managed to strengthen their roster yeah it hasn't manifested in performances as yet but the roster is stronger and i'm thinking if if it hasn't manifested in performances how is it well how quite, is it that it, quite it's literally strong? paper tigers yeah yeah i mean there is you, no you way paid more for some flashier names yeah yeah that's it i mean the and that's not a reflection on um, some of the name players that they've recruited, but it's it's if players cannot play to the best of their ability at a club, then there is something else that's wrong with the roster or the coaching that prevents them from performing at their best. Because you can go rattling off players that you've added to the squad to make the squad better, 
but if the squad isn't better and they're about they are a few weeks away from maybe securing their back to back wooden spoons and we've been there we've been there as eel supporters and and we can look back and go you know what that wasn't a great roster that we had and you know what the coaches didn't do a great job either in those back to back um, spoon seasons but I mean we can we can look back and we can we can be honest about that. I think the Tigers at some point have to be honest about there are things wrong within their organization and whatever level it's at, whether it's at administration, whether it's at coaching level, whether it's at the the strength of the roster, whatever the case may be, unless they're honest and face it, then they they're trying to pull the wool over supporters' eyes and and they're they're making themselves really you have to say the laughing stock of the NRL at this at this point. And they probably and the supporters don't deserve that. Fellas, we had planned that we were going to talk about the job that Andrew Webster was doing at the Warriors and whether he could perhaps be in line for coach of the year. We might push that to next week, uh, especially given that they've got another big clash this weekend. So I think we've covered about everything that we possibly can at this stage across paradise and in the nrl so clint thank you again for your outstanding work in the podcast same for you john well done our thanks also to our sponsors big swing golf north mead and star partners real estate auburn norellan and Parramatta. a reminder you've got the 2gb continuous call team happening down at paraleagues club between 1 and 10 p.m on Saturday afternoon and they'll be covering the Eels game later in the evening uh, till our next podcast which is going to be probably our NRLW special podcast it's Go You Mighty Eels <laughs>